Good morning, church. How are we this morning? That's right. What's up to? <laughs> well, Luke chapter 10, that's what we're going to be at this morning. And we're going to be looking at the fifth value of our church, which is a church of compassion, a compassionate church. Maybe you've heard this quote before. But it goes like this, what does love and compassion look like? What does love and compassion look like? According to Augustine, it has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sigh and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. This morning, um, again, we're going to be on our fifth core value, and we've been looking at what are some of these things that we hold real dearly, right, who make up who we are. Not so much that they give us an identity, but if you were to describe our DNA, these are, these are some things that are very valuable to us. The first one that we heard that Bill preached out of was, our church's Trinitarian foundation, uh, how at the foundation and core of, of our church, the, 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 the cimiento, if you would, is that of God's glory, Christ's gospel, and the Spirit's mission. We do all for the glory of God and for the exalting of Christ as we the church are on mission. But secondly, we talked about a diverse and unified church, a body, a familia that's not monolithic or homogenous, but a diverse group of peoples of all different backgrounds and nations, ethnicities, uh, family um, classes who celebrate the work, the unifying work of a redeemer that brings his children home and brings them together. Harmony and unity. Then a church in community was, was our third core value. And if you remember that message, that was out of Acts chapter 2. How we saw a very clear picture of the early church who cares and loves for its own family. And then last week, if you were here, we, we heard a message, a church in and for the city. Probably one of my favorite messages from my brother Bill. Out of Jeremiah chapter 29, how God calls us to establish roots and transform our city, not flee or, or just assimilate, but to seek its shalom as we join the work that Christ is doing in building up his city of God. Well, this morning, again, we're going to be looking at this characteristic of being a compassionate church. Uh, what does that mean? What does it look like? And how can we even be more of a compassionate church? We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So before we open up to the word, why don't we pray and let's ask God to open up our minds and our hearts to his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing your good redemptive plan to us and 
You did not do it just in the person of Christ, but you did it with your very breath, your word. Thank you that it is alive, it is moving, it is not static. And it's moving within us, it's moving around us, and it creates life within us. So Lord, this morning would you create more of your life, more of Christ, of Christ Jesus within us. Thank you that you are at the helm of that work and that your spirit as he infuses within us the power to not only hear but to understand, to also apply it. It's in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the main idea, if you take note this morning, I've tried to make it as simple as possible. And actually, if you heard this message before, uh, you probably have not heard it in its entirety. Uh, maybe you've heard bits and pieces from a message that Bill gave, what's that, maybe about eight years ago, on the same core value. So towards the end, I'm going to actually steal from his message, and hopefully repetition uh, will be a friend to us this morning. But this main idea is this, a heart of compassion simply meets people's needs. That's what a heart of compassion is. It's meeting people's needs. This morning, I want us to look at what does that mean? In other words, is there a standard that we can behold? And Jesus will reveal that to us. Secondly, we're going to look at exactly that. What does it look like to have a heart of compassion? But then thirdly, how are we enabled to have a heart of compassion? So we just finished hearing Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And if we were to step back and look at a couple of things in this context, Jesus had just been rejoicing with his disciples over the way that the Father had hidden the secrets of salvation from the wise and the learned, the ones who thought that through a certain knowledge or a certain heritage, they had a specific favor from God. And instead, he was rejoicing at the fact that God the Father revealed it Revealed salvation and life through his son to those who just simply had a childlike faith. And so we read verse 25 and hear, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. It's as if to prove Jesus' point. And here is where we pick up. Now, this lawyer was one who, who thought for sure he was righteous. Because he knew the law. Because he was a good theologian. See, he, he understood the Old Testament. But as a good Bible scholar, he sought to interpret Scripture to everyday life. In other words, how can I, what I learn, walk out? How can I flesh it out? But what this lawyer saw by testing Jesus was not truth but self-justification and a retention of his self-righteous honor. 
So he says, teacher, what shall I do? The key word there is do. What action do I need to muster up to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing where the lawyer's heart was at and where he was coming from and what he knew about the law, said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, tell me what I know you already know. And verse 27 tells us, And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this. Go and do it. And you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? A couple of things worth noting here. The lawyer's answer is actually correct. He got an A plus on a pop quiz. <laughs> it came straight from God's law, found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which, which pious Jews like himself would have recited in the morning and at night. Not, not only would he have recited it, but physically speaking, there was a reminder of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, called the Shema on his forehead. A calf's skin box, small in size, that reminds him of these verses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And his answer apparently was also juxtaposed and mingled correctly with Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Which says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people but shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So the lawyer, knowing the law, answered correctly. He knew the greatest and the second greatest commandment. These verses summarized all the Ten Commandments and even the Mosaic Law, the whole law according to what Jesus would tell us in Matthew 22. And according to Jesus, this was the standard. This was the standard that you were to keep if you want eternal life. With the whole law of God resting on loving God and loving people. So Jesus tells him, okay, you got it. Bing, 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 correct answer. Now go do it. Love God with everything that you have and are. A mind, have a heart and a mind that's totally absorbed in worship and allegiance. 100% of the time, 100% of your attention and every affection and 100% of your strength all the days of your life. That's what it means to love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And then, 
And then do the same exact thing in intensity with how you love your neighbor. Love him with all grace. Love her with all willingness and eagerness, power and desire that you would meet your own. So you got the right answer. That's all. Do that. <laughs> and you'll truly live. What was Jesus trying to get to the Lord? What was he trying to get the Lord to say? What Jesus was trying to get the Lord to say is, you know what? I can't. I can't fully meet the standard of the law. I, 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 I fall short and I need to be saved. I can't obey it all. Loving God, loving others that way. So how can I be saved? And then scripture doesn't tell us this, but Jesus might have revealed to him and said, yes, only by my mercy can you be saved. And I am the mercy of God. If you believe in me, the law will be fulfilled through me in your life. Only then will you truly live. Jesus was using the very law which the lawyer held on to as a standard for self-righteousness and honor to reveal to the, to, to the lawyer his need for Christ. But the lawyer, we know, didn't respond this way, did he? How did he respond? Well, we know he didn't respond in favor of a need for Jesus because he sought to justify himself. Seeing he got exposed for not loving God nor his neighbor, he got all technical. <laughs> I, I, I heard a message that just, it made so much sense. It's easy that, it, it, it's, it's interesting to know that when we seek to justify ourselves or when we get pinned up to a corner, we all of a sudden try to get technical to get ourselves out of it. And this is what the lawyer was looking to do. He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Church, it is possible to have sound orthodoxy. To know the scriptures. To answer as a good theologian. And even understand the concept of a heart of compassion and not have compassion at all. And this is what Jesus is revealing to us. Now let's press the brakes because Jesus here wants us too to, to see what he's teaching. He wants to reveal some things to us about ourselves. See, to have a heart of compassion means to love God with all that we are and all that we do and then others the same way. And that is the standard of a heart of compassion. That is a standard, and it's a standard that we ourselves don't uphold. It's a standard that God himself, through his word, which is a reflection of him, upholds for us. But the problem is, and the reason why we fall short from it, and I think we could all be honest here, is that we, we love ourselves too much. We have our own agendas. 
We have our own desires that we want to bring forth. Perspectives, insights. And we love ourselves so much to the point where we don't love God as we should, nor our neighbor as we ought. Now we may say we, we look to God, but more often than not, we'll look to God for saving face rather than for saving grace. Or we look for God's blessing in our agenda. Has that ever happened to you? You're praying for a test. You're praying for a certain desire that you have. Maybe it's a job. And you find yourself wondering, why am I trying to obtain God's blessing when I already know I have all his blessings in Christ Jesus? But somehow we fall into this line of thinking and living where we look for favor for our agenda. And then we take his word and, and, and we take it out of context and we twist it and, 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 and we try to fit into our plans so we might establish our own laws. So we might have the betterment be for ourselves rather than for our neighbors. It is impossible to love our neighbors if we're constantly trying to justify ourselves. How has our love for ourselves affected our society? Pastor theologian Victor Shalar from Main Street Baptist Church in Kentucky on his message at the Front Porch Conference on March 18th last year had some good words for us. And I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, this is the reason why we live in a relativistic society or in a society that has laws and principles that are bent towards its favor because we're tired of the law of God, exposing and shaming and seeing us as guilty. And so we lay aside God's law and we modify what's right and wrong, making up our own moral codes, which thereby redefine the dignity of personhood so that we might just like the lawyer come out looking good. This is the reason why we will not end racism, misogyny, prejudice, abortion, you can name them, xenophobia, etc. In our world, it's because we are sinners. And no man-made law or moral code put together by depraved men will ever fully fix things, ever. But the second thing Jesus wants to make sure we too grasp is this, that love for people or a lack thereof reveals the genuineness and health of our relationship with God. Both are interconnected. Why? Because a love for God will naturally, organically generate love for who? For our neighbor, for others. So it is impossible to love God and not hold compassion for people. According to scripture, it's impossible. So if I am lacking love for my neighbor, a compassion for the needy, 
there's something wrong with my relationship with God. Now, what does that look like? Well, a heart of compassion that meets the needs of people is what Jesus gives us an example of. And we'll keep reading verses 30 through 37 because he's going to give us two negative examples and one positive. And this is very helpful because I love it how Jesus teaches. He teaches through parables. And in other words, there, 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 there are big lessons incubated in small stories. So let's read. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Jesus sets the stage for a lesson. And his first character is a man. Now we know not much of him besides the fact that he is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and has fallen among robbers. In other words, the man got jumped, <laughs> according to some of our urbanites. The man, the man is coming down, he's minding his own business, and in an unfortunate event, unforeseen, unplanned, he's robbed. He's severely beaten, he's left naked, since clothing back then had, had, um, uh, had value, and was left in the middle of the road, almost dead. So this wasn't just a little fight that the man tried to put up, perhaps. He was left to die and was dying. Then Jesus introduces another character. When another man came down that same road, a priest... And it tells us here that the priest was coming down that road. In other words, he was heading home after having done all his priestly duties from Jerusalem. That's the route that the priest would take as they would head home to Jericho, which is a large area where the uh, priest would, would reside at. Perhaps he had preached this sermon that same day had led his congregation in worship, reminding them of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and God's redemptive plan. Perhaps he, he also greeted some and encouraged them, reminding them of the compassion of God towards his children and his faithfulness seen throughout Jewish history. So as he's heading home, he sees this man after just leaving his church service. And he decides to go to the other side of the road and keeps walking home. The third, Jesus tells us, is another character, is a Levite. Now, Levites back then were not as highly ranked as, as priests. 
But Levites were the ones who would lead public worship and liturgy during the services. Well, what we read from here is that apparently he too was coming down that same road. And as he sees the man, he too does a sidestep. But there's something what Jesus says in the story about how he does that. Apparently, in the grammar, it tells us that the Levite doesn't just look at him from afar, takes a sidestep, and keeps walking. Apparently, he looked and pondered and then decided, knowing exactly what had happened, to continue walking his way. Well, at this time, as Jesus is telling the story, the lawyer and his hearers were expecting something other than what they got. You see, they expected a threefold rhythm of the Semitic story form. What does that mean? They were expecting someone of their kind, an Israelite layman. You've gone from priest Jesus to a Levite. Now the layman's going to go ahead and show the Levite and the priest what it really means to love God and love your neighbor. But Jesus instead gives us a different ending. And the ending he gives us is by introducing a fourth character totally unanticipated by the disciples and those who were there listening, including the lawyer. In the grammar, we read Samaritan. It doesn't read but a Samaritan. It just reads Samaritan. In other words, Luke is saying this is the emphasis that Jesus was given in this story, and he wanted to make sure that the crowd understood the sharp contrast. But a Samaritan. See, Jews and Samaritans hated one another. There was racial tension, religious uh, tension. You know, whose, whose place of worship is best? Whose ethnicity is purest? And Jesus introduces a Samaritan to introduce the idea of how to love a neighbor. Here Jesus wanted all to see, including the lawyer, that this, what the Samaritan does, is the heart of compassion that God requires from each and every one of us. And the model he uses to communicate that is social compassion. It's social compassion. It tells us here that as he journeyed, this Samaritan came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had Compassion. Now, this word means to be stirred up from within your bowels. So it's not just that he felt love and a certain tender care. No, there's this mixture of love and pity that was just wringing his guts out where it led him to do something. Not just believe in compassion but to act on it. And we see that with the way that the rest of the story goes. Look at the action points. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. In other words, he provided medical aid. 
practical medical aid. Then he sent him on his own animal. He provided transportation and brought him to an inn and took care of him. In other words, he, he gave him himself, providing friendship and protection by staying with him overnight. He didn't just drop him off at the inn. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He provided also financial subsidy. This is what the Samaritan did. And Jesus is saying, I want you to look at the model of what it looks like to love your neighbor. It's very tangible. It's something that you can see, that you can perhaps even hear and smell as he got on his animal. And he smelled the dried up blood, the dirt from the road. So Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Now, is this to be spiritualized? No. Jesus is not the Samaritan. The journey is not Jesus' second coming, and the sacraments are not the oil and the wine. Okay? But the bottom line is this. The Samaritan is an example of a guy who did all that he could do for the sake of his neighbor. He did all that he was able to do. And he showed mercy, sparing nothing. He freely gave. And he did for the injured man what the injured man could not do for himself. This is what made him a neighbor, according to Jesus. Now, I think this, this has implications for us as a church because here Jesus is reminding us this morning that caring for the poor and the needy is not an option. It is not an elective. It is something that Jesus says, this is just what those who have experienced the love of God do. God has placed us in two neighborhoods, church. In his divine sovereignty and providence, Edgewater and Rogers Park. And he is manifesting his love and himself through his church by desiring to meet physical needs. For they're great in our neighborhood. There are many whom God has placed on our road that we might show compassion and social mercy. And so I think a good question to ask ourselves is, what voice is on the ground? As we're hearing God's voice, from his word, what voices now are we hearing from the ground in our community? That God is, is asking us to hear. That God is asking us to see. That God, perhaps even through smell, <laughs> he's asking us, I want you to see that there are people who are needy. And I want to use you. Most recently, for me, 
God used my hearing to help me to hear the voices on the ground, those of the needy. Uh, just a few days ago, I was in my kitchen, and as I was cooking up my cafe cubano, Bustelo, <laughs> I look that way because Joey uh, loves coffee, and we, we sometimes have this, this battle between what's best coffee and all. Anyhow. And um, I hear a helicopter. I hear a helicopter. It's 5.15 in the morning. 5.30, I'm, 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 I'm wondering what may be going on. I mean, Rogers Park, sometimes you have shootings, you have... But I'm wondering, man, you know, this helicopter's been around for, for like half an hour, 45 minutes. Why, well, I, I, I go to turn on the TV, I don't find anything, but I look on the web, and I, and I hear of a house, not just a house, I take that back, an apartment building that was burning down on Tui and Clark. This was on June 5th. And as I turned on the news, I discovered that obviously this was not only two blocks away from our home, but that perhaps this might be a way that we as the church can minister. And sometimes we as the church could be collective or individually, right? But it was that day that I met a man by the name of Lazaro. And as we drove around, trying to get him some, some meds for his diabetes, he told me how his family had been living in that apartment on the third floor for 15 years, and they knew Maria Diaz, who had jumped, hoping to flee the fire, but who had died that day. He said, we, we've lost everything. For 15 years, we've been living here, and we don't have clothing, furniture, food, all paperwork that we had, it's gone. Now they're slowly getting back on their feet. Thankful to the churches, um, even to a group like the Rogers Park uh, group that we have going on right now that's helping us um, all together plant a church. But you know, a few things I took out from that, from that experience, and that is this. God will use all of our senses what we touch, what we hear, what we see, what we smell, to help us understand the needs of the people that are on the ground, that are in our communities. And if we're attentive, we could hear his voice. If we're attentive, we could hear his cry. Dr. Pablo Jimenez, Puerto Rican scholar, pastor, and associate dean for Hispanic ministries at Gordon-Conwell, in his sermon, If You Close Your Eyes, states it this way. He says, God's revelation of himself and the needs of those he longs to heal can be heard through the destitute and silenced voices of the subaltern, calling out to his church from within the very streets and margins of our society. God's heart and voice is to be revealed through the disenfranchised and suppressed, for he is a father to the fatherless and protector of widows. This God, our God, is here 
his holy habitation. Psalm 68, 15. In Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, Jesus tells us that our attitudes towards the powerless, towards the disenfranchised, the needy, are a reflection of our attitudes towards him and a sign of real faith when he says, for when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it on one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. How we treat the stranger among us is how we treat Jesus. So a heart of compassion meets people's needs. Why? Because it's a reflection of God's heart found in his law and found in the very person of Jesus Christ. But if that's all we have for this morning, and I'm thankful it's not, then I think we would all leave burdened, wouldn't we? We would all leave guilt-driven, shame-driven, wondering you know, what, what's going to propel me? What's going to propel us to reach out to those who are in need and be a good neighbor? How are we enabled to love in such a way? Well, we see the fingerprints of the message of the gospel in this very parable. And that we can learn from this lesson. This lesson that Jesus is teaching are these. Just like the lawyer bending the parameters of the law in order to justify ourselves and gain honor will not give us eternal life. It will not give us the life that we are longing for nor the approval that we seek from God. Rather, it will cause us to live in constant guilt and shame, falling short, exposing our very sin and our guilt. But secondly, too, we can learn that religion can't save the half-dead. Religion cannot bring to life not only the one who's serving, but the one who is dying. Religion can't save the half-dead nor enable us to minister with compassion. We will burn out. We will burn out. Loving others out of guilt and shame will only take us so far and we will crash. And church, there is no joy in that. None. But the power of the gospel, the power of God's goodness and love reflected in Christ Jesus for us, that when you and I were a foreigner, that when you and I were enemies of him, he embraced us 
And we receive the love and care of a crucified and risen Christ to make us righteous before God. When we are experiencing this and being reminded of the good news, oh, doesn't that liberate us? Doesn't that set us free? It takes the vile, the shameful, and the self-righteous outcasts to become true neighbors. It empowers us. It propels us. Because we're able now to reflect what we've received. Something that we did not earn or deserve. But the gospel will also take us to the wounded. To the broken. To the marginalized. To the half-dead man. To receive the care, comfort, and restoration he needs to live so that he can see or she can see Jesus Christ. Social compassion doesn't alone get people to heaven. But it does serve as a witness to the broken around us. This is what Christ and his body in this world does. So perhaps this morning, as we've just heard this good Samaritan, the story given by Jesus of how we are to love God, but that only be a reflection of how we love others. Perhaps the best charge he can give us. And that charge is, go. And church, is do likewise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for embracing us. Thank you for bringing us in to your family, to your home. When we were destitute, when we were left to die in our sin, Lord, you reached out to us and you came near to us. Jesus, you crossed the border of time, of space. And you made yourself known and you dwelt in our neighborhood. You dwelt among us. And we saw and were left in awe your glory. Thank you for, for reaching out, for banding just us up, for, for applying the care that only you could apply and giving us the life that we needed. Lord, would you cause us as a church, both collectively and individually, to continue to grow in this area? To continue, Lord, to, to see the, 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 the things that you're already doing among us? To continue to, 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 to step into those and, and have you be lifted, Lord Jesus? Have you received the glory, Lord God? In those areas, Lord, that we're still lacking in. Thank you that you're growing. You're growing your body, and you've enabled us to be a witness, both in word and deed, of a gospel that brings life. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and Lord sent by the Spirit on mission. Amen.